Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, looking this morning at verses 14 through 25, the end of the chapter. Uh, we've been going verse by verse through Romans, but take a little break for the next couple months, do a series, a little mini-series on living life without next week, living the life that's not the life we wanted. How do we do that when you have to live a life that's not the way life should be for you or the way you would have chosen? So we'll look at that, then some Christmas themes, and then Lord willing, back in Romans chapter 8 at the beginning of the year. This morning, Romans 7, 14 through 25, hear now God's Word. For we know that the law is spiritual, and you remember last week we ended with a kind of a mini-sermon on the law out of verse 12. The law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. It's important that you remember that uh, theme as we keep going. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what am I doing? I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want... I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find in the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. You may have heard the story of the man who had um, swelling in his head. His eyes were protruding. There was ringing in his ears. He went to several doctors to try to get this problem solved. One doctor says, your tonsils took out his tonsils. Another doctor said, no, it's a couple teeth, took out teeth. Went to his family doctor and the doc, you know, who had been following him all along. And he says, the tonsils didn't work. The teeth removal didn't work. Um, the doctor says, I don't know what's going on with you. He says, it's just unexplainable. I can't figure this out. He says, but if your head continues to swell at this pace and there's ringing in your ears and your eyes are popping out, he says, I'm just going to be honest. I, I don't give you but about six months, and you're going to die. So with nothing else to do, the guy said, well, I'm just going to live my life, you know, as best I can. So he went out, bought him a new car and uh, some other things. He said, I'm going to go get custom clothing. I've never had that. I want that. And so as he was getting measured for his shirt size, you know, the, the tailor's measure and said, well, you got a 16-inch sleeve, and I mean a 30, 34-inch sleeve and a 16-inch collar. And the man immediately said, no, 15 So he measured again, said, no, it's a 16-inch collar. He says, 15. 
He said, I want custom clothing. All my life I've wore a 15-inch collar. Make it 15. And the tailor said, well, sir, no disrespect at all. But my guess is if you wear a 15-inch collar with a tie, your head's going to swell, your eyes are going to pop out, and there's going to be ringing in your ears. And then we learned the truth of his whole situation. His truth was he was refusing to, to embrace or own his own neck size. That's as simple as that. And I thought, you know, we, we go through so many problems in life sometimes, and the reason we go through these problems is our own personal struggle admitting the sin that is within us. We won't own our own sin. We, we will talk about other people's sin. And we'll constantly define sin as out there somewhere. And we still struggle and we wonder why are we struggling. And the reason we're struggling is because there's sin in us that we refuse to admit. I know for a fact, because of sin, some people have swelling in their head their eyes pop out, and there's ringing in their ears. Sin causes problems for us, and we must not ignore it. We must deal with it. We must engage it. Matter of fact, it's, it's a war, an internal war within us. How do we engage this battle with sin? Romans 7, verses 15 to 25, is just a great place to start. Now, when people look at this passage, 14 to 25, when they look at it, they say, well, who is it really talking to? Is it talking to a Christian or a non-Christian? And some people just dismiss this passage as a passage for Christians because of certain verses. Look at verse 14. It says, um, says, of the flesh, Christians aren't of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin, sin Christians aren't in bondage to sin anymore. I mean, so this is a struggle for people to say, who's who's it really dealing with? Um, Verse 15, I'm doing uh, what I do not understand. I am not practicing what I would like to do. Oh, so you're practicing sin? Well, Christians don't practice sin. Romans 6 was all about that. And so you're dealing with this struggle. Verse 18 says, um, I'm doing the the very thing I don't want to do. How can that be a Christian life? So is this really talking about a non-Christian? It's not talking about us. Well, no, I don't think so. I think this is every bit about the Christian life. And we need to see the struggle. First of all, notice the present tense verbs all the way through. Paul is writing this as a Christian. And as Paul is describing his own life, he uses present tense. He doesn't say, I once was this way. And now no longer. But he said, I currently am struggling with bondage. I'm struggling with a practice that's sinful. Paul is using present tense verbs. He's not using past tense verbs to describe this. And also notice uh, what else is here. Verse 16. Notice his, his, his love here. I do the very thing I don't want to. Oh, so you have a desire, a new desire, really, a new delight to do what's good. Where did that come from? 
That's a, non, that's a, a, a non-Christian who's been converted. Now he's a Christian. He has a new desire to do what's good and right and holy and righteous, keeping the law of God. He even makes it clear over in verse 22. He says, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. What non-Christian joyfully delights himself in the law of God? I think he's talking about the Christian life. He's not talking about the non-Christian life at all. He's talking about a Christian who delights in the law of God. He's already declared the law is holy, it's righteous, it's good, and I love it so. And I want to keep it so. But my struggle is, I'm not doing it. Not near as much as I want. I know I've been free from, from sin's power, Romans 6, the first half. I've been free from sin's practice, the second half of Romans 6. And so why am I still sinning? This should not be happening. And he's struggling with this problem with sin. Now notice what he's really saying here. He doesn't ever say the Christian is living in sin. But what he's saying is sin is living in the Christian. It's an important distinction. He's not saying he's constantly living in sin. But he's saying in my inner man there is sin living in me. I now have power over sin. I can quit practicing sin, and yet I find in me a presence of sin. And that bothers me. It frustrates him. He's frustrated. It's kind of like my golf swing. You know, I want to hit it straight away, and it goes up and down and this way and this way. I want a certain thing, and I'm just frustrated. And I'm frustrated because what I want to do, I'm not doing it. And I want to get this fixed. That's his struggle. And it's beautifully illustrated by Dale for us a minute ago. We struggle with this. We want to do what's right, and yet we're doing what's wrong. Well, that's what we've got to attack. How do we attack this presence of sin still in our hearts, still in our being so that we can have more and more victory and more and more conformity to Christ. First of all, understand the conflicting passions that are in us. Verse 14, he says, we know that the law is spiritual. I know the law of God. I know it's a spiritual entity. I know it's, it's holy, it's righteous, it's good. I want to keep that. But I'm very frustrated. Verse 15 and 16 says, What I want, what I'm doing, I do not understand. I'm just, when he says he does not understand, what is it he doesn't get? You think about it here. He, he, he has said he, knows, he understands the law. He understands it's spiritual. He understands it's holy. He understands it's righteous. He understands it's good. He understands it's what he wants. He, he knows what he wants to do. He doesn't have a problem with that. I know what I want to do. I want to keep the law of God. So his problem is not knowing what to do. He knows what to do. He knows what's right to do. He knows he doesn't want to do what's wrong. He understands that. He's like, what doesn't he get? And so what he's, what he's saying is, what I don't get is why I'm not doing it. I'm frustrated. I know the right thing, but I'm just not doing it. And that's what he's trying to explain 
How do you do that? How, how do you keep sinning when you know you don't want it and you shouldn't? Verse 17, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin dwells in me. It's sin in me that's the problem. How do I get rid of that? Well, I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer because it's going to be January before I preach it, okay? Look at chapter 8, verse 13. Chapter 8, verse 13 says, For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do you put to death sin in you? You only put to death sin in you by the Spirit. You must have that power of God in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And then you can literally put to death sin in us. That's where Paul is leading us. You have this willingness, but it's just not happening. It's not happening in your strength. It could happen through the Spirit. One thing we need to learn here is that we cannot avoid the presence of sin. Sin's not chasing you. Sin doesn't have to catch up with you. You're carrying sin around. Sin is in you. And we cannot avoid the presence of sin. Verse 20. If I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin dwells in me. Verse 23. He says, I see a different law. It's in the members of my body. It's in me. You can't ignore sin. It's, it's in us. It's, it's part of us. Strange that God would tell us that? I don't think so. Why does God tell us this? That even though he saved us from the rule and the dominion and the power of sin, even though he gives us ability over the practice of sin, why does he tell us this sin, though we're not living in sin anymore, sin is still living in us, why does he tell us this? Perhaps the reason he tells us this is because the first step to the destruction of sin in me, in you, is acknowledging it's there. How do you defeat an enemy when you won't... Face it. When you don't acknowledge its presence, it is in us. And the first step to its destruction is simply the acknowledgement of it. You know, you want to work on certain things. Dale mentioned a few earlier. I want to work on my devotional life. I want to work on getting up and just spending time with God. Or I want to work on... And, 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 and let's say that's... That's your desire. That's your passion. A lot of people try to do it at the beginning of January. I'm, I'm going to read the Bible every day, and I'm going to do this. And that works for about, I don't know, 15 days or so. And then you, you miss a day. And it works for a little while. And then you miss two days and three days. Why don't you succeed? Or you have this passion to um, love your husband or love your wife. You're going to do certain things. And it works for, you know, Till he or she messes up and then he's not sure it's worth it. And you have this passion to uh, have family worship. And so you work on it for a while and you, you, you get three nights in a row and then you miss one. And then you miss another and then you just don't seem to be making progress. Or you have this passion to, to, to get physically fit. 
How many want to just lose five pounds? Just five. You know? And you say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And you work on it, and you work on it, and you're successful for, what, a week? Maybe two? And you need to say, ah, it's not really worth it. The food tastes too good. You know, and, and you break back up. Why do we not continue progressing? Do we stop in the process of all of these good things we want to do? Do we stop and acknowledge there's sin dwelling in me? See, if we, if we don't acknowledge the presence of sin, see, there's sin. There, there's, there's lust in my heart. I lust after the food. I lust after self-interest instead of spouse interest. I lust after my time in bed, or I lust after my time in social media. I lust after things, which is why I'm not getting these things done that I want to do. And as a result of not getting these things done, why am I not getting these things done? Because I haven't dealt with the sin in my heart. I haven't dealt with my lust. I haven't dealt with my covetousness. I haven't acknowledged it. I haven't repented of it. I haven't moved on from it. Paul says, acknowledge it. Sin is in my members waging war. And if you don't wage war there, all these other good things you want to do. See, I know what to do, and I want to do them. But I don't succeed. Why not? Paul says, because there's sin that we're not dealing with. That's why it's here. He wants us to acknowledge our sin and deal with it. Uh, we must acknowledge it. Well, it gives us, not only is it a sin, but it's a principle that he wants us to acknowledge. Verse 21. So I find the principle, and then later he describes it a law, the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Law's in me too, verse 22. But there's this different law, this, this principle of sin in my members. And, and they're conflicting. So not only do I have conflicting passions, I want to do something, but I don't apparently want to acknowledge sin. But I've got this desire for, for the law, and I've also still got this desire for sin. I've got to acknowledge that they're both there. Uh, the Apostle Paul, um, he introduces this whole concept in, the, in his epistles of an inner man. It doesn't matter what we call it. It's our soul. It's our heart. It's the person that we are outside the flesh. And he's using the flesh here. He's saying, this person that dwells in me wants things. And then there's this law of God within me. Well, Paul didn't come up with it. Look over at Mark 7. Jesus referred to it as well. And this is just a, a beautiful description of understanding what we've got to deal with. In Mark 7, let me read verses 14 to the end of that section. Verse 23, Mark 7. After he, speaking, this is speaking of Jesus, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Have you heard that? Nothing outside of us defiles us. It's what's in the inner man that's messing us up. And he goes on. 
describes it even further. When he had left the crowd, he entered the house. His disciples questioned him about this parable. And he said to them, are you, like, why do you not get this? Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, his inner man, but into his stomach. And it's eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, man, that is what defiles the man. For within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things proceed from where? The inner man and defile man. We like to define sin as where? It's outside of us. Sin is in foods cooked with too much salt and butter. Sin is in processed sugar. Sin is in the theater. Sin is on the internet. Sin is in the murder. Sin is in the guns, especially AR guns. Sin is in something outside of us. And we want to describe it out there. And yet Jesus describes it and Paul describes it as not out there at all. Sin is in us. He says, do you not understand that? This is, this is a Christian principle. Christians of all people get this. The world is constantly saying sin is in the environment, so change the environment. Christians are saying, no, sin is in the heart, so change the heart. And Paul is saying, I've got this new heart. And because I've got this new heart, now I have in me this delight and love for the law. What do I do to destroy the sin that's in here? Because as I destroy the sin that's in me, then I grow. And I'm conformed to the image of Christ. He doesn't describe sin in such a way. I need to lock up and destroy others. Why is it we always want to talk about the sin of others? And ignore the problem is in us. It's in me. And if I would just deal with the sin in my own heart, life would be so much sweeter for others. Um, there's this ongoing war and laws. Uh, I like to think of it as two bosses. I remember when I was in high school, uh, some of you in high school here, college, you, you've got jobs down at the QT, Starbucks, um, Chick-fil-A, some of you have told me about. I had a job just like that. It was at a fast food restaurant. Any of you have been to the Pete's restaurants in Greenville? I was, I was at one of those. And uh, so I'm, I'm running my cash register, doing my thing at Pete's. And my boss comes in and says, uh, new management. I'm going to start another Pete's. And one of my brothers is coming and he's going to manage you. I said, fine, no problem. Well... So I, I got a new boss about two or three days, and the old boss comes in. He didn't like some of the things the new boss was doing, so he, and he didn't see him. He just saw me. He said, hey, I need you to do this, 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 this. And I thought, well, that's fine and dandy. I don't mind doing those things, but my boss told me to do something else right now. So I was tried to do them both and get them all satisfied, and I, it went on a couple of times. I said, I can't do this. I said, so next time the old boss came in, I said, can I have a meeting with you and the new boss? He said, Sure. And I described it to him. I said, guys, I can't have two masters. 
I said, I don't mind doing what either one of you say to do. But if I try to serve you both, I'm going to get fired. And y'all aren't going to be satisfied. A man cannot serve two masters. Well, we've been serving this master known as sin. You receive Christ as who? Savior and Lord. You know what that means, right? Lord, it means boss. It means master. It means manager. If you're serving Christ as Lord, why on earth do you still serve sin? Paul said that shouldn't be happening. Out of your heart should be this passion to serve the Lord. And if we're still serving sin, that's not going to work. That's going to lead to destruction and death and disease. It's just not going to work out that way. You know, when we're tempted to sin, it's, it's what's the temptation? If it's, if it's a moral sin, it's physical pleasure. But not always physical pleasure. When Satan tempts you to sin, sometimes the sin is the, the or the temptation is discovery. I want to do this sin because I get to discover something. I don't I've never been never been with her or him. It's discovery that's really exciting. Or it's 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 a irresponsibility. Sometimes the pressures of life are just so much. It's like, can I just have a moment where I'm not responsible for anything? And you're tempted at that moment to be irresponsible, not responsible. And instead of dealing with the temptation, instead of dealing with the sin, we yield. When we've got a Lord and a Master who's told us what's right, what the law is, and what's good. That's what Paul is dealing with here. Let me just ask it to you this way. What's God telling you? In other words, is God telling you anything today? Is God giving you something that He wants you to do? Did He tell you to worship? Did He tell you to love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? I mean, you can start coming up with things. Well, God is telling me... All right, now let me ask you the next question. Are you doing anything else? And then the follow-up is... Why? If God's telling you one thing, why are you doing anything else? Why would you do something that's not His will when He's already told you what His will is? Well, because that's what I want to do. Oh, so you're in charge now. You're the master. You're the boss. No, Christ is Lord. This is, what has God told you to do? What is God's will for your life? You should know that, and that's what we do. When we do something else, we're saying, oh, I've determined that it's okay to live outside the will of God. I'm going to do what I want to do. Paul says, that doesn't work. Why do you continue with that struggle? Acknowledge that it's there, that we have to wrestle with it, and let's get beyond that. Let's do the will of God. He says, in order to do that, where does he get us? Verse 24. He says, wretched man. We've got this struggle. Wretched man that I am. Who's going to set me free from this struggle that's going on? This frustration in my members. Verse 25. Thanks be to God. There's a way out. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, you know, in me, 
there's this law of sin. So he leaves us saying those two entities are still in us. This new heart of love for God and this constant indwelling sin. But we can be set free. And the way we're set free is by crying out to Christ. Who can set me free? He says, thanks be to God, Christ can. I can be free from this as well. But, well, one thing don't miss. You can't fix it. He didn't say, you got this struggle, and so go out and fix it. No, he cries out to God, let Christ fix it. Christ needs to be in me. His spirit needs to be in me. Give you a passage to think about. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 12, 1 through 4. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. This seems to be a, a great run the race, run through the struggle kind of passage. Romans, Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, Surrounding us. And these are that you not enter into temptation. You know, and he comes back and he finds them asleep. He says, Why is it you can't watch and pray? That's all I'm asking. Watch and pray. Why? Because Satan is tempting you. I don't see him. Where is he? I mean, you're looking around for the problem. The problem's in me. Temptation happens in the inner man, it doesn't happen out there. Just because somebody wears scantily or they're scantily dressed, that's not where sin is. Sin's in the lust of my heart. They can be fully clothed or naked. We want to deal with it out there instead of none of the problems in here. Watch and pray. Do you have that kind of alertness to sin where it's at and where you need to deal with it? We need to deal with it in our own hearts. It's kind of like the soldier says, the enemy's all around. I need to keep one eye open. Are we, are, we, are we keeping an eye open to the sin in our own hearts? And saying, Lord, lead me away from this lust and this covetousness that's in me. That's where sin needs to be dealt with. It's like I said, you, you don't have to worry about sin catching you. It's already in us. It doesn't have to catch up with us. Watch and pray. It needs to be constant. Number five, be proactive against sin. How do you get proactive? How can you do something right now? You say, well, I don't, I don't sense any real temptation right now. If you ever have those moments, you're blessed if you do. How can I be proactive so that I'm ready when the temptation comes? What can I do to be proactive? And the answer is by treasuring the law of God more. You saw it in verse 16. He says, the law is good. I love it. You see it again in verse 22. He says, I joyfully concur. I delight with the law of God. You see it again in verse 25. He says, I'm I'm serving the law of God. Let me take you through some passages. Look over at Proverbs chapter 2. This is crucial. From chapter 7 of Romans that we get this principle. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. 
My son, if you will receive my words, don't miss next two words, and treasure. Treasure what? My commandments within you. Son, this is crucial. For you to deal with sin, for you to deal with problems, you must treasure my commandments within you. So obviously there's a prerequisite. You have to have the law of God in you. I've encouraged all of you over and over and over and over. Know the law of God. If you don't know the law of God already, you know, summarized in the Ten Commandments, come up with just two-word descriptions of each command because you can memorize those this afternoon if you don't have them. You already know many of them. Command one, no gods. Command two, no idols. Command three, no profanity. Command four, keep Sabbath. Command five, honor parents. Command six, no adultery, no murder. Command seven, no um, uh, adultery. Command eight, no stealing. Command nine, no lying. Command ten, no coveting. I mean, you can know that. The law of God has to be in you. And he says, you need to go further. Not only is the law in you, but the law is treasured. Which is why you have verses in the Bible like, it's my delight. I joyfully concur with the law of God in me. So it becomes not only something that's in you, but it's something you you meditate on day and night. You treasure it. Look over at chapter 3, verse 1 of Proverbs. My son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. He didn't just say, do it with your feet. It's this inner man. You keep God's law with your heart. Chapter 4, verse 4. Then he taught me and he said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Wow. Life gets exciting when you know God's commands and you keep God's commands in your heart. Look over at chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. My son, keep my words, and here it is again, treasure my commandments within you, and keep my commandments and live. Well, what are you doing when you do all of that? Putting God's word in your heart. Look over at Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. Psalm 19. Can't get enough of this. Psalm 19, beginning verse 7. The law that's in us. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Does your soul ever get down and weary, crushed, waging war? The law is what restores it. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You sometimes get taken advantage of by this principle of sin. The law will make you wise against that. Verse 8, the precepts of the law are right. They rejoice the heart. Rejoicing, it's constant. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More desirable than gold, yes. Than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there's great reward. Who can discern his error? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep me back. Your servant from presumptuous sins. How do, you, how do you deal with the sins in your heart? You know, nobody sees them but you. How do you deal with presumptuous sins? You, you, would, you didn't even know you were going to do it. You presume if you did, you would. And How do you deal with all that? It says the law. Verse 13, also keep back your servant from the presumptuous sins. Let not them rule over me. Then I will be blameless 
And I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Have you ever asked God that you want the meditation of your heart? Do you meditate on God's law day and night? Do you want the meditation of your heart to be acceptable in his sight? What would that take? Short of meditation on his law day and night. One other passage that's popular and you've heard. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verse 7 through 11. Or, excuse me, verse 9 through 11 is enough. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why do I keep hammering this? You can't put but so much in a heart. If you fill your heart with the law of God, you inevitably squeeze out sin dwelling in you. You can't make a heart love what it doesn't treasure. If you treasure sin, you will do it. You'll yield to the temptation. But if you've learned to treasure the law of God, The substance of Christ is in you. And you begin to treasure what is holy and righteous and good. That becomes your passion. And when Satan and sin tempt you to something else, you say, but that's not what I love. This is my treasure. It's my delight. It's my passion. It's what is acceptable in the eyes of God. We must Learn to treasure the law of Christ because it's the very character of Christ in us. Now, before you leave, I hope if you're a non-believer here this morning, there's one thing you've learned if you didn't learn anything else from this passage, that your struggle against sin, you struggle too. But in this struggle, you, you, you are being told this morning is that you have an inability to win. You absolutely cannot be victorious in your sin struggle without Christ. Who can set you free? Only Christ can set you free. If you struggle with sin, if you struggle with improvement, you struggle with getting better, the reason is because sin is not being dealt with. You must receive Christ. He's your only hope. He's your only victory out of this thing called sin. You can can do different stuff and change behavior and patterns. By the way, if you go to a counselor, we all need counselors. We all need counsel. But don't spend good money on a counselor who doesn't understand indwelling sin. Matter of fact, I think it's a great question to ask the counselor when you first are introduced. Tell me your view of indwelling sin. Because if they don't get where your problem is, 
They're not going to help you to succeed. They can change your environment. They can give you new things to do. But then you get over there in these new things and you find you relapse. And you've never really been delivered because you haven't been dealing with the sin that's in you. Our only hope of growth, conformity to the holiness and goodness and righteousness of Christ is through dealing with the sin within us and it must start by receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior. And after we've received Him, we begin to worship, delight in His law, and we begin to grow. Let's pray together. Father, I spent a lot of time on this and it just seems so important because we live with blinders on. And the very thing we want to do, we keep not doing it. Because we don't deal with the sin that's within us. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Who can set us free? May we run to Jesus. May we fix our eyes on Jesus. May we desperately cry out, for Jesus. Can it be that we could gain an interest in his love? That he would care for us? That he would die for us? That he would take note of us and deliver us? Thank you for your grace. Thank you for such redeeming mercy given to us only in Christ. We love you. We worship you. We adore you. Let this continue day and night. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.